if people are that uncomfortable and if you are that uncomfortable at the prospect of even having a chance to sing that song, it's probably super important. So you really need to go ahead and do it. Even in those moments where I, you know, I'm singing a song about the Confederate flag in a state like Virginia, it's important. Those are the people who need to hear that song more than just about anybody else. And so it isn't an option to, to not do that just for the sake of somebody else's comfortability in the audience. Before we start today's show, I want to introduce you to a brand new track from singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist Kaylin Marie. She's been on this show recently, so head back to the archives to listen to a full interview. This is her new song called Finally, and it's the last single from her sophomore EP, Forget Me Not. Take a listen, go and follow her on Spotify, and I hope you enjoy. And I've been Hey there, I'm Stevie. I'm a musician from New York City and the host of This Next Song's About. This is a podcast for songwriters and music fans alike. And in this podcast, if you haven't joined me before, I hope to take you behind the scenes for a closer look at how musicians write their songs, what their career has been like, and I'm also going to try and uncover some of the secrets of the music industry with music experts from across the nation. Today, my guest is social justice songwriter Chris Matthews. Already being hailed as the next Woody Guthrie, DC resident Chris Matthews is among the brightest stars of the new generation of social justice music makers. She is made for these times, and with the release of her new hope-fueled, love-filled social justice album Changemakers, Matthews hopes to take her place alongside some of her heroes in the world of social justice music. In this episode, Chris tells us about her philosophy in life of sing, don't shout as a way of changing hearts and minds, and having difficult conversations. Well, Chris Matthews, thank you so much and welcome to the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. It is so good to see you. And I think I we we connected a couple of weeks ago when I asked you to do a volunteer show for the Ali Forney Center in New York, um, which was such good fun and had such good feedback about you and everyone else in in general in that round. So for anyone listening at home, I sometimes organize a a monthly event with Ali Forney Center, which is an LGBTQ center in New York. And Chris was kind enough to perform. And I love those shows and I always get so emotional and, you, you know, you definitely, whenever I've seen you perform, you always sort of take me to that place as well. So um, it was such a joy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. That's really sweet. Of course. Well, Chris, we have so much to talk about. You have released a brand new album called Changemakers, which is doing amazing things. So I really want to talk about the album. And we're going to talk about one of your songs called Prodigal Son. So one thing that I, I want to start off with is, is to, to introduce mm-hmm. you to our listeners. You've described yourself as the poster child for intersectionality. Tell me about that. <laughs> so, yes, I, uh, I am a woman. I am black. I'm a lesbian. Um, at the time that I actually made that comment, I actually was in an interracial marriage as well. Um, so I check an, an awful lot of boxes. So, you know, <laughs> it's it's a. Uh, you get a lot with me when I walk into a room. So, and that, that tends to come out mm. in the music as well. So, I mean, I, I think it's a good thing. So much of the 
the issue that we find ourselves having is how to bring more people uh, in to, to these conversations, these difficult conversations and things like that. And sometimes people don't, don't realize when they're in a marginalized community, it's like, that's not a pass to not be an ally as well for somebody else. So it's, it's just a kind of a good reminder, you know, because I'm a part of so many different communities, so many different marginalized communities to kind of remind people that like, Hey, yeah, you know, it's a yes. And kind of a situation, you know, he's like, yes, we mm-hmm. want you to have your rights, 100% LGBTQ fam. And then we also want black people to not be getting killed in the streets by the police. So can we just walk and chew gum at the same time, everybody? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I watched the TED Talk that you gave in Virginia a few years ago. I think it was in 2017. And the context of that, I thought, was really interesting. It's 2017. We were a year or so into the Trump presidency. You are a social justice songwriter, and you were doing this TED Talk in Virginia. And you were talking about, and you you know, one of your songs, I think the line is, Black Lives <laughs> yeah. Matter, all, but yes, and so do all lives too. And I remember, I think at the end of that song, I think it sort of panned out into the audience and like you were, you know, obviously there was a pause and everything, but there were some people who looked very uncomfortable, which I quite liked. And I think that's sort of part of what we're trying to do is have these difficult conversations and make people feel discomfort in where they sit and challenge themselves. Yeah, it was interesting to be um, asked to give that that TED Talk so early on in what it was like the worst thing I could have ever imagined having to live through, which was a a Donald Trump presidency because I do check so many boxes, you know, it it was kind of like, it was a strange feeling to be kind of telling people, Hey, this is exactly what this is going to be like. And having so many people think that, you know, Oh, you're just being alarmist. It's not, it's not going to be that, you know, this is all just an act. It's going to be fine. Like, you know, and I'm, you know, I, along with pretty much every black woman in America was saying, people, please wake up. This is going to be absolutely horrible. Please don't let this happen. And then it happened. And then everybody was just so amazed that so many of us were 100% correct and accurate. So it was a strange thing to be having to to kind of speak on, on how to persevere and endure and actually kind of strike up some of those difficult conversations, because I think so many people found themselves having to have so many more of those once he was elected as president of the United States, because, you know, it was uncharted territory to have to have somebody who uh, insisted on peddling uh, hate and divisiveness be the leader of of this country. It was just such a strange thing. It was a complete alternate universe. And so on the one hand, it was a lot of, uh, there were definitely a lot of uncomfortable people in the audience, but I always say, I was, I was saying, I started, I was teaching a songwriting class and someone was asking, you know, how do you, how do you sing social justice music? How do you get in to be comfortable enough to sing social justice music? Because sometimes it feels like people are so uncomfortable and it's like, if people are that uncomfortable and if you are that uncomfortable at the prospect of even having uh, a chance to sing that song, it's probably super important. So you really need to go ahead and do it. And so even in those moments where I, you know, I'm singing a song about the Confederate flag in a state like Virginia, it's, it's important. Those are the people who need to hear that song more than just about anybody else. And so it isn't an option to, to not do that just for the sake of somebody else's comfortability in the audience. Yeah, no, completely agree. How does it feel being up there and watching other people's discomfort and then kind of, and, and have you ever been concerned about the safety element? No, not at all. Yeah, not at all. I mean, 
I think that's probably a product of, of how I was raised and, you know, my mom's a preacher. And so she, she pretty much has instilled in me my entire life. It doesn't matter what kind of plans I have. Somebody else is in charge, no matter what it is, I think I'm about to do with my day or life. So, you know, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. whatever happens, if I find myself in a situation like that, those are the steps that have been ordered for me. And so it's not for me to, to, to not do what I feel like I have been called to do for the sake of being afraid. And so I don't, I don't worry about that kind of stuff. And I have been very fortunate, mm-hmm. you know, in the folk community, because folk music has such a long tradition, a long history of that marriage between folk music and social justice music and social justice activism. Most of the audiences that are there to see me, even though they're predominantly white, they are pretty much the kind of people who are already on board. They're the kind of people who who already kind of know what's at stake. My friend Dave has this really interesting song that talks about preaching to the choir because so many of us do that. It's like, am I doing any good if I am in fact preaching to the choir? But the song says, I'm preaching to the choir so they'll sing louder. And I think sometimes that's important work as well is to keep those people hopeful and and and, and kind of motivated to continue doing the work because obviously we aren't finished. Uh, we're kind of having the mm. same conversations we had 50 years ago. We're still having those conversations. So there's something to be said for for singing to the choir uh, as well. Yeah, there was one of your songs, I think, during that TED Talk, and you said that it was inspired by a song that you'd heard that was 50 years old, and you kind of did a revival of that song. Yeah, it's called We Must Be Free. It's actually based off of a freedom song uh, written by Roberta Slavitt called Freedom is a Constant Struggle. And the first time I heard that song, I thought that song was contemporary because it was just so mm. fitting of what what I was seeing this was kind of at like one of the the uh, big bursts of energy with the Black Lives Matter movement and I heard that song and thought gosh whoever wrote this man they really nailed it and it's it's over half a century old and so to to kind of be sitting there face to face with that with how how very far we have not yet come um, I put some new lyrics to it and, and the folks that manage uh, Miss Lavitt's catalog felt like it was relevant enough to to be re-released under that new title, which was a very cool thing. So, Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. That is very cool. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Well, tell you what, how about we talk about Prodigal Son? Sure. And then we can come back to social justice because I, like, I, <laughs> I love the whole the, the folk movement and I really want to talk about that. But Sure. So with Prodigal Son, so this is from the new album, Changemakers. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the song, and it's it's got a it's got quite a country feel to it. Yeah, very much. I mean, I was born and raised in southeastern North Carolina. It does not get much more country than that um, <laughs> down there. We are we're pretty country, but yeah, Prodigal Son. It's a it's a story of what it was like for me and for so many other people to come out. But the difference is with this, I wanted to give that possibility of that kind of acceptance that not all of us get early on in our coming out. I certainly didn't. My mom and I have a phenomenal relationship now, but that took many, many years of work and tending to, to get there. And so with this song, with this story, I wanted to make sure that because so many people take for granted that idea of it gets better because they don't always know that it actually will, because it does sometimes take an awful long time. I didn't want that story to have that. I wanted that story to have that acceptance right away. And so that Mm -hmm. end, that third verse where the mom is saying to the kid, it doesn't matter who you love. That was a really important choice uh, lyrically for me. And the music is just, I love it. It's one of my favorite songs on the album. J.J. Jones, who played uh, with Girly Man. A lot of folks will know J.J. from Girly Man. We went on tour in 2019 with the Singing Out Tour. It was uh, J.J. Jones, Heather May, myself, and Joe Stevens from Coyote Grace and kind of this LGBTQ super band. 
And every time we played that song, I fell more and more in love with it. It's the oldest song on the album, but it kind of got a new life breathed into it mm -hmm. during the, the tour with JJ, just the way she plays those drums. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to make sure I got a chance to record it for Changemakers because it is still so relevant. I mean, LGBTQ people have been under attack for four straight years and are, you know, mm -hmm. finally just now getting to breathe a little bit easier. And so it felt really important to put that song on the album and especially in this new reimagined version. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously with the, the trans bills that are being proposed now, it, it's sort of it feels like we're breathing. And then at the same time, we're like, what the fuck's going on now? You know, it's yeah, just, you, exactly. you look around and you're like, how, how is this happening? We're, I thought we were done with this, but yeah, yeah. no, I completely understand. And JJ, you're right. Phenomenal drummer. I remember seeing, seeing oh, JJ yeah. play with, I think you and Heather May, at Heather's um, album launch. Yeah. For her glimmer, for the glimmer tour. Yeah. The glimmer, yeah. Um, and actually, I don't remember if I told you this. I think I first saw you perform opening for Chris Pirica. Ah, very cool. That was, yeah. I think at Rockwood. Chris is so great. <laughs> yeah, Chris, that was that was a great show. I really, really enjoyed that. And I remember that you played something. I think that really stopped me in my tracks. And I'm trying to, it must have been around 2017. And so timing of it was very poignant, but I think now it's even more poignant. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody wrote a, an article, a, a lady out of Michigan said, Chris Matthews has written the soundtrack for 2020, but she wrote it in 2017. So, <laughs> it's uh -huh. like, yeah. yeah, yeah, we just aren't, we just, you know, it's like on the one hand, we're progressing, we're trying so hard. But then on the other hand, it's like, you know, for people like so many of us, we're, we're like, we've been literally telling you all this for years. Can you please start listening to us now? My goodness. Mm -hmm. But I think more people are. Okay, well, let's take a listen to Prodigal Son and we'll come back and have a bit more of a chat about social justice and folk. In a town way down in Tennessee lives a teenage boy who's got a secret
So Chris, that was Prodigal Son. Love it. I, I mean, I'm I'm a sucker for Fender Stratocasters, banjos, and and a good train beat. So <laughs> <laughs> you sent me the right song. Yeah, perfect, uh-huh. perfect. Do you think we're seeing a new revival of social justice songwriters right now? I do. I really do. I mean, I, I think with within the folk community, it has never gone away. There have always been social justice music makers, you know, that's kind of a hallmark of the genre, but it is very encouraging to see so many people in more popular music, putting their their music where their hearts are um, in a lot of re- regards. You know, Taylor Swift, she had that great LGBTQ song, I think in 2019, very, very vocal advocate for the LGBTQ community. Beyonce is phenomenal and is like always lifting up our people. And so, you know, it's amazing to see so many artists get away from being so scared about what the label is going to say or be so scared about what their fans are going to say or fans are going to think and actually start Mm -hmm. singing about the things that actually matter to them. Love songs are phenomenal. Dancing is phenomenal. Breakup songs, etc. But people are really going through it. And so music has this really powerful ability to get in places that regular words don't. And so it's, it's really meaningful to see so many various types of artists really try to stand up their art Mm -hmm. Uh, it's really beautiful and I think you know with folk what a lot of people know is like popular folk music being like Mumford and Sons or the Lumineers and there's not much social justice running through that and I think sort of you know folk sort of took on a genre in terms of a style it's interesting I think I think it's always fascinating to hear uh, perceptions of folk when I think of folk music I of course think most people are thinking of like Bob Dylan and and Mm. artists like that which you know oftentimes it's an older white guy. And so it is always interesting for me to come into a room because I definitely don't look like an older white guy. So (laughs) they don't know what they're about to get when I sit down at the microphone. But yeah, folk definitely is one of those cool genres that encompasses a lot. You know, we we encompass singer songwriter, world music, because folk music in its essence is music of the people. And so because of that, it it really is. It's a very big tent. So yeah, it's interesting to hear Mumford and, uh, and some other groups like that mentioned with them. Yeah, I th- and I guess what I mean, you know, is what people think of folk music now, you know, if you're listening to Spotify, you know, I think that's sort of where most people think of that in terms of a modern sense. Well, you mentioned what you were listening to growing up. Tell me more about some of those artists. Yeah, so I, again, I grew up in southeastern North Carolina with a preacher for a mom. So my my introduction to music was definitely gospel music. I grew up listening to my mom sing to me. And uh, then eventually started singing in in the church choir myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of phenomenal gospel music. And then also soul music, because so many of those soul artists actually have roots in the gospel community as well. So they kind of sound so similar because that's where their essence is. That's where they fell in love with music, too. So Otis Redding, Sam Cooke, Aretha Franklin, all of that. But then, you know, I took a turn in sixth grade and became a band nerd. So I actually have a pretty deep love for classical music as well. I played clarinet for many, many years. 
And it's an eclectic mix. I mean, if you look through my iPod, which I actually still have, it's it's pretty eclectic. There is literally some of everything. The wheel and the clicker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The round wheel, you know, with the cool game that like you bounce <laughs> the ball against the thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a classic. Um, so a pretty eclectic mix of stuff growing up. Very much so. I think that translates kind of into the music, too. I mean, I didn't start writing songs until I lived in Boone, North Carolina, which is a really intense uh, bluegrass kind of mecca. And so Mm -hmm. to have learned how to write music in a place like that, I always feel like it kind of influenced my music without me trying to let it influence my music. It just kind of seeped in. I think the genres I try to incorporate into into what it is I, I play, I think it's about as eclectic as my iPod in a lot of ways. You know, even on Changemakers, some of those songs sound like straight up Americana. And then you listen to a song like Time Machine and it sounds completely different, completely different. It's like one of the most direct social justice songs on the album, but the music behind it, I mean, you could take the lyrics out and you could almost hear that on like a club kind of situation. It's, it's really interesting. I just, I was joking with my producer and he's like, you know, what genre is it going to be? And I'm like, I just write it how it comes out, man. I can't answer that for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's a unique talent. Cause I think there's a lot of people that kind of get stuck in a genre and you're like, you write to a genre. Sometimes people even get stuck to a particular beat. If it, you know, like with country, there's you can kind of limit yourself a little bit that way. Yeah, for sure. I guess that's part of the joy of being part of the LGBTQ community. We definitely uh, march to our own drum in just about every context. So it naturally, it should carry through in music as well. Mm, indeed. And, and on that note, happy Pride. Cheers. Absolutely. Happy Pride, everybody. <laughs> Tell me more about Changemakers. So this whole album has a social justice theme running through it. How much of it was in response to the last four years, dare I ask? Almost all of it. I mean, I I really treated this album like it was kind of a time capsule for those four years because Mm -hmm. inevitably we will find ourselves back in this place again. It may be 50 years, it may be 100 years, but people will be having to have this conversation just like so many people, you know, who were from John Lewis's generation who thought this was going to be over when they were marching, when they were 20, in their 20s and in their 30s and they were in the fight still, you know, 50, 60 years later. And so because of that, I very much wanted to treat it like a time capsule of, you know, these are the things that we are enduring. These are the things that we are having to live through and figure out how to rise above, how to maintain hope and love in the face of all of this that we are seeing. Because ultimately hope and love are the the two things that always move us forward in the end. And so while the album does talk about a lot of really intense, heavy stuff, each one of those songs are just so deeply, deeply coded in hope and love. Um, And I hope people feel that when they actually listen to it. And it's wonderful that you've gone to that place with it rather than a kind of, well, that was a bit shit type, you know, (laughs) type tone. (laughs) It could have been quite dark, you know, but you've approached it with a very um, positive, positive energy. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's an interesting dance in a way, because on the one hand, there is no sugarcoating. I mean, there there are songs up there about the opioid crisis, about the Me Too movement. You know, it isn't a question of niceties, but there are, there are ways to talk about those things and hopefully do so in a way that actually makes people want to lean in more and not be pushed away. Mm-hmm. Because so many of these things, we need so many people standing up and fighting for better. And so in order to do that, you know, you have to actually invite them into that very broad tent that we talk so much about. You have to want people who want to be in that tent and feel like there's a place for them there and feel like they can actually do some good there if they just get in the fight. It's a, it's a choice, you know, it's a very intentional choice. I think that if 
people feel inspired to be engaged and just don't get so beaten down that they feel paralyzed and immobilized, uh, then then I've done some good with those mm. songs. And I just want to touch back on the, the title of your TED Talk was Sing, Don't Shout. And you talk a lot about difficult conversations. Has there been a difficult conversation that has really stood out for you? And perhaps one that has had a positive outcome or maybe one that hasn't. I mean, honestly, the the, the conversation that inspired the song about the Confederate flag, that, that was definitely mm. one I don't think I'll ever forget. I mean, as somebody who grew up in the South, people so often dismiss concerns about everything that the Confederate flag symbolizes with that phrase is heritage, not hate. But what they never seem to take into account is what that heritage actually entails. And because when you dig into that, it's it's hard to kind of still sit there and make that argument. So that song is actually a true story. The young man that I was having that conversation with, that was his response. You know, it's heritage, not hate. You know, you know, I love you. You know how I feel about you. I absolutely do, which is why I'm so shocked that I'm having to have this conversation with you right now. <laughs> so it, it started as that conversation with him. And then it ended with me doing a deep dive into what his actual family history was, because so many people use that phrase, it's heritage, not hate, and, and take comfort in that and feel like that is enough permission granted. In actuality, if they dig into their heritage, it is so hard. If you have roots in this country that go back, you know, at least to the 1860s and to the 1840s, it is really hard for you to not have some kind of familial tie to slavery. It is almost impossible. And sure enough, with his family, you know, he, and it wasn't that his ancestor was just kind of casually acquainted, he was literally driving the slave ship uh, over to drive slaves over here. And he had no idea about that. And so many people don't, you know, they know their family history back to their grandparents. And if they're lucky, their great grandparents and not any farther than that. So to, to use that phrase is heritage, not hate, and then have no idea what your heritage actually is. To have him find out that. Yeah, absolutely. He was absolutely mortified and shocked as well. He had no idea. And so to be able to have that conversation with him, to be able to not alienate him before we could even get to that part of the conversation, that is, that's a hard bit of work. And it's not for everybody to do, but if you have the energy to do it and can keep your sanity, I highly recommend it. Um, just because people don't know what they don't know. And it's like, we're, we're all having these conversations with people who are our neighbors, with people who are our cousins and our relatives and our aunts and uncles. And you love these people. You you feel like you know who they are. You feel like you know their hearts. And then they, they do something like that. And it makes you question everything. When at the end of the day, their heart hasn't changed really any. If they were good enough for you to love them before, there's something in there that's probably good enough to love still. It's just, they don't know what they don't know. And when people have such a small worldview and they've experienced such a very, very small sampling of the world of people who don't look like them, of people who don't think like them, it's hard to make them understand more about the world when they don't know more about the world. And so sometimes that more, I won't say gentle approach because it isn't about being gentle, but the compassionate approach. I like to think of my music as kind of compassionate descent because I do believe so deeply in in broadening that tent and so deeply in in what John Lewis did with his life of calling people in. And so that's why I say sing, don't shout, you know, if you can. <laughs> if you can't, I'm definitely going to give you some grace because it is hard out there, especially right now. But if you can, yes, sing, don't shout. Try to Try to reach them where you can. We need mm -hmm. so many allies on so many fronts right now. Would you say you're a preacher? You're pretty much your mother's daughter in another sense. You're, I mean, you're preaching. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I would. I, I, the apple doesn't mm-hmm. fall far from the tree. She and I joke about that sometimes about how, you know, I, I do. I feel like this is definitely a calling for me. And I think the way that I approach some of those messages is similar to her in that way. You know, she's very much somebody who finds that balance between faith and fact. And I try to try to do that too in, in, in the music in a mm-hmm. way, because I do, I want people to, to feel like they can think about this really important stuff. I don't want people to feel like they, they don't have a, a space where they can ask questions because if they can't ask questions, how are we going to get them to understand? Yeah, I do. I'm definitely my mother's mm-hmm. daughter for sure. There's no, there's no getting around it. And we look just alike <laughs> too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm excited for you to be able to to go out and promote this album live, to, you know, to be you. able to, to go and do shows. We're now starting to open up and, and do some shows, and you recently played one. Yeah, I had my first show, yes. Tell me about it. Yeah, it was so great. Oh, man, it was incredible. Oh, it, it, you just don't realize how much you have missed because, mm-hmm. you know, we've been trying to stay positive and, like, trying to keep people hopeful, but, gosh, it was it was really something to, to be – in the room with people and experience that energy exchange that happens. It is, it is absolutely magic. Um, And I think that's why so many people are so eager for live music to come back is because they know that that magic as well and have missed it. And it's, it's been good. I mean, we, you know, we've been trying to get through with the virtual performances, but it is just otherworldly to be in the room experiencing that kind of stuff with people in the same space. And so I'm so happy that people are, are getting vaccinated so that we can actually do more of that. I want to come sing for as many of you as I can in person, but yeah, it was a, it was incredible. It was a, it was a really great feeling. Mm. And thinking about the virtual performances, you guys, and I say you guys, I mean, you and Heather May, you know, you, you cohabitate together, you perform together. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we get talked about often in one breath. <laughs> but you guys have been managing to do stuff both together and separately um, in terms of virtual performances. You And I watched you guys both do yeah. really well in terms of creating a community. And you already had like a kind of community elsewhere, but you managed to mobilize it in a way that I was, it was really impressive and really engaging. Tell me about how you, not necessarily, I don't mean sort of what, what was your strategy around that, but to some extent, it was, and you needed to pull people in in order to continue your music to survive as a musician. Yeah, and I think ultimately the the focus because because of the work that Heather does with her music, she is very much um, a mental health advocate. That that work, she is as passionate about that work as she is about her social justice work with her music. And so, because of that, you know, as somebody who lives with bipolar disorder too, understanding immediately the ramifications of people who don't do well in situations that require isolation, now being forced into a long-term situation that requires them to be isolated. I think her recognizing immediately what that was going to translate into for so many people really kind of fueled our our creation of the Apart Together community because her fans mean so much to her and she's so committed to like their mental health and, and them surviving and still being here because she knows that journey. She knows that darkness. And so it meant a lot to her straight out of the gate to to kind of create that space, to create that community for people so that people knew they weren't alone, even though we were going to have to be isolated for at that time, 
nobody knew how long to, to create that space, to create safety, to create refuge for people, to know that even though you have to stay home, you have to keep yourself safe, you have to keep your friends and neighbors and loved ones safe, you are still not alone, even throughout this. And so it was really, I, I can't take much of the credit for that at all. She, she really just spearheaded so much of that. And it was a beautiful thing to watch and to get to be a part of kind of helping to, to get folks through what was a very, very scary time and what could have otherwise been an, an incredibly dark time for so many people. But it was, it was really beautiful to see people lean into one another, even even through the ether, to to be there for one another and, and be a constant beacon and constantly be reminding people that they're not alone, even though we have to be isolated right now. Yes. Well, as we say, hopefully for not not too much longer. Yeah, for sure. Are you are you planning gigs now? Yeah, we actually have a, a little tour coming up in June. Um, we're going to be on the road in the Northeast, uh, Heather and I together. And then um, I'm going to be at the Woody Guthrie Festival in July. Uh, we're going to be at Festival in Michigan in August. Most excitingly, I'm going to be playing a, a little bit of music in Turks and Caicos in oh. November, which I'm really looking forward to. I feel like that's my reward for mm-hmm. like enduring the pandemic and surviving it. It's just like, universe, thank you so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's good. Things are slowly but surely they're nowhere near getting back to normal. But people are are doing the work of trying to like get their vaccination numbers up so that live music can actually return to those communities. So slowly but surely we're getting out there. And you uh, got picked up to tour with Dar Williams. Yes, I did. I sure did. You got the inside scoop. I yes, sure I did. I'm very excited about that. I, I adore Dar's music. I think she's so talented and just incredible. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's such an honor. It's an absolute honor to open for her. Did you listen to the podcast I recorded with Dar? I did not. Oh, well, there you go. You can go back and listen to the archives. Okay, I'm going to have to go in there and get some inside scoops. All right. Oh, yeah. She sings Lizzo for a little bit as well. So it's, it's worth listening to. Nice. <laughs> She's so great. She's very funny. <laughs> That's so awesome. We were texting a little bit before because we were just trying to arrange some stuff. And she was, and just some of her texts were hilarious. Yeah, she's a hoot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm excited for you. I hope you share some behind the scenes things with, with Dar. I think it'll be great. Yeah, she's she's really great. It's a, It'll be my second time um, going on a, a little run with her. So I'm really, really excited about it. Oh, I didn't know it was your second time. Yeah, just the, I had a couple of uh, a stop there in uh, Northampton, Northampton, Massachusetts before the pandemic. And uh, I still have cough drops actually in my pocket that she gave me from that. So I'm like, man, hopefully I won't, I will not need those this time. So <laughs> Mm-hmm. I've I have been in a show at Rockwood and I had I always have cough drops in my pocket and it's not necessarily for me it's usually for someone else that's good to know as a vocalist that's actually really good to know I'm gonna you know seek you out in a crowd if I'm in a pinch oh yeah no manuka honey I if I'm if I'm singing I always have a manuka honey throat spray so nice that's always in my gig bag so I'll I'll, I'll buy you <laughs> some the next time I see you <laughs> awesome Well, listen, Chris, this has been such a wonderful chat and I've loved learning even more about you. Oh, thank you so much. And it just gives me so much more context into the album, which I I adore already. And I'm so excited for you to be able to take this on the road. And I really hope I get to see you perform soon. Yeah, that'll be great. So let me know when you've got a a New York show. I sure will. I sure will. All right. Well, give my love to Heather and uh, Juice, Juice the Dog. All right, will do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she's just in the other room listening. She's like, if I had picked up my guitar, you would have heard some tap, tap, oh, tap, yeah. tap, taps on the floor. So yeah, she's just keeping it cool for now. But yeah, she's always within earshot. <laughs> Chris Matthews, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. 
You know, I thoroughly enjoyed that chat with Chris. I felt so warm after that conversation and so inspired to dig back into some of those artists that Chris mentioned and expand my folk palette just a bit more. If you want to check out Chris, you can go and listen to her new album, Changemakers, and that song Prodigal Son is on it. Uh, it's out on Spotify now, and you can follow her at Chris Matthews, C-R-Y-S Matthews, M-A-T-T-H-E-U-S on Instagram and socials. If you've enjoyed today's episode, and I hope you have, as you've hopefully made it to the end, please leave a rating and a review. I would really love to know what you think. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Stevie Manns, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>